Ladies and gentlemen, guys and girls, welcome to an extremely important episode installment of the Daily Degenerate Podcast. I am joined via Skype with two handsome young gentlemen from Steel City Underground, your source for Pittsburgh Steelers news and updates. Um, Brian and Joe, how's it going, fellas? Going pretty good. How are you? Man, just trying to, you know, battle through all this stuff we're going through, trying to keep busy trying to look forward to an NFL season that I'm sure will happen in some capacity. It better. Yeah, it has to, <laughs> or else, or else I, I, I can't start robbing banks. I'm too old for that. You know, I, I, I there's not much stuff to keep me over. And, and let me just thank you uh, for calling me young. Uh, I am handsome and silky and smooth, but young is not something that Joe would ever throw my way. <laughs> <laughs> Well, just yeah, like just, uh, just like with older women, it's implied to ask about age, so it's implied to ask about your age, too. We'll, we can't see you. This is a podcast, audio only, so we'll just stick to the fact that you're young. <laughs> He's young at heart. Uh, young at heart. Immature. Yeah, I have a six-year-old daughter. I think uh, Brian is probably about five months younger than her and uh, <laughs> it comes to maturity. Well, at least you know that you can you can keep on that on that same playing field when talking to your daughter and and to Joe. That's better. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. So, fellas, um, we are previewing the Pittsburgh Steelers. Your Pittsburgh Steelers, um, super fans for life or late to the game. Oh, definitely not late to the game. Well, we know Brian has been around since the inception of the team in what, 1937? He was, he was, he was, he was Coach Cowherd's uh, first assistant. 33. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm stupid. I can't believe I screwed that up. But I, Oh, you got to turn in your card, man. I Ooh. do, man. Oh, well, you know, the quarantine's got me down. Um, yeah, for me, you know, I was born in 81, so I, I've been on it for, you know, growing up, I was just telling you um, – off air that I grew up in between basically Cleveland and Pittsburgh and our direction either way. So my community was like half Browns fans, half Steelers fans to even where my wife is a Browns fan. So uh, yeah, it, 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 it could get tense at times with friends and family. So uh, everyone would, you know, I have one, you know, the angel and devil on one shoulder or the mm -hmm. other and the angel came through and I uh, turned out being a Steelers fan for life. Yeah, and I've been around since, uh, well, I've been around the, the earth since 63, uh, and I've been a Steelers fan since 69, so nice. Um, so there you go. <laughs> so, fellas, um, last year um, you started off 0-3, which I think was the toughest three-game stretch for any team in the NFL. You, go, you play at New England at home versus Seattle, and then at San Francisco. So that travel time is a bitch. Um, slow start, but you routed off a lot of wins later in the season, and you hit some good strides in the middle of the season. Um, what can we do next year to win these these really tough games? Well, I, th I think it helps if they have um... – have a healthy team all around. I mean, injuries are a part of football, but Ben Roethlisberger being out first things first, you lose a franchise future hall of fame quarterback. Uh, that's not going to bode well for any team. Then you get the guy who was drafted to be developed possibly an heir apparent. And he has a pretty rocky season by virtue of getting not only uh, knocked out concussed rate right on the field where, you know, it looked like, uh, like I was saying, Brian, Brian used to wear the helmets without the face mask. And boy, that was scary. Me and Brian were both there watching it. And, uh, 
And, you know, then he comes back and, of course, has, like, the skirmish with uh, Miles Garrett and then has his collarbone broken. So he, then you re rely on uh, undrafted free agent and uh, Devlin Duck Hodges out of uh, Samford, which is, you know, the old 1AA or the FCS uh, division-level football. And it, he was in a pass-heavy offense, but, you know, the type of competition that he was playing, it was, you know, he was really thrown into the fire. Uh, you had James Conner banged up and hurt for portions of the season. You had offensive linemen either hurt uh, in the case of Ramon Foster or suspended in the case of Marquise Pouncey for that aforementioned Garrett uh, confrontation. And then uh, who am I missing? I said Juju. I said James. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people rag on Vance McDonald being banged up. He missed a couple of games, but actually played more than most of the guys I just mentioned. So uh, that was it. It was, uh, it was inconsistency by virtue of constantly shuffling the deck of cards that you were given to play with. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, the biggest the biggest fix is Ben being back. You bring Ben back, uh, that that's going to fix a lot of ills um, because the quarterback play last year was just not not good, and uh, that that's going to help a lot. And also playing inside out, whenever the quarterback play is better, you get a little bit more leeway to start that run game and to work inside out to run first, then pass, then you can go back to the run. And something that the Pittsburgh Steelers like to do a lot is mix it up and get both phases of the game going. Um, you guys are professionals, and I appreciate that professional segue. What are the expectations for Big Ben this year coming back? Wow. Um, I don't know about you, Brian. Uh, I, I I see like a situation where – I don't know that he's going to go back to what he throw for 5,000 some yards in 2018. Yep. Let me see. 5,129, 5, 34 touchdowns, 16 picks, which actually what led the league, <laughs> mm -hmm. believe it or not, not a, not a Jameis Winston number there, but you know, I don't know if they're going to allow him to throw 675 passes coming off of like whatever arm injury, but he could be fresh too. He could be rusty. But again, like you say, uh, the offense will be opened up a little more because you won't have like eight, nine, maybe all 11 guys in the box just yeah. daring you to throw it. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. Um, I, I would say that the, the, the plus, you know, the, the plus or minus here is, is somewhere around uh, 4,000 yards, maybe, it, you know, normal, his, his career average, continued growth there. The expectation isn't going to be that Ben needs to put up 30 points a game. You put up, are going to win most of those games with that defense holding people under 20. So I, I think the realistic expectation is Ben can come back and not have to be the, the only guy. As long as he can distribute the ball as needed uh, and they can keep their offense fairly balanced, I think they'll be in good shape. I think that the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have suffered from a similar problem the last few years. And then I, I like the way you put it. If Big Ben has to throw for 5,000 yards, it's probably a problem. Um, I, am, I am one of the biggest Jameis Winston fans out there. Um, I love Jameis Winston to death. Um, I thought y'all's man, Bruce Arians, B.A., would be able to get some of those turnovers under control, but that didn't happen. But that's the problem with Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, Jameis Winston threw for 5,200 yards, but that's only because he was down by 20 points so much and because they had to throw the ball 700 times in a season because you can't get that run game going. So I think that with Connor being back, rested healthy, Big Ben being back, it does open up that offense and it makes room for both phases of the game to work independently of each other instead of you being so tight last year and teams could throw 10 guys in the box and stop whatever you're doing. No, I totally agree. And, you know, it also helps that Connor, what did Connor do? I think he played 
uh, in 10 games and not even a, a full 10 games, I want to say, uh, that'll, that obviously would help if he could stay healthy too. But even his um, chief backup, I mean, Jalen Samuels is more of a utility guy. Uh, you would think of him as maybe a third down back on any other type of roster, a guy who catches the ball out of the backfield. He's not really a, a, an in-between the tackles unless it's maybe short yardage. He's not going to break a, a big play. He's uh, he's more of a weapon when you get down in the red zone closer to the goal line. So when you have Benny Snell as a rookie, and, and Benny Snell was banged up too early mm-hmm. early on and in the middle of the season, it was real tough to get anything going there. Like I said, you, you were shifting guys on the offensive line too. Some of those guys have – you know they they got taken for their lunch money depending on the matchup as well off off the edges so i mean it really didn't help and, and they were coming free i mean you know like i said when you're stacking the box you're sending blitzers you're, you're pressuring these quarterbacks you're daring them to do something and it, it's really difficult to get anything else going so uh totally totally agree with you there um you know it's not like the steelers i guess turnovers is going to bite any team in the in the rear end and that would probably be the the chief thing when you're talking about what they could do differently in 2020, you have, uh, even with the backup quarterbacks, James Conner has a costly fumble against San Francisco week three. Uh, San Francisco scores game-winning touchdown right off of that. And then uh, week five, you go into overtime. Uh, you had uh, Mason Rudolph started the game, got knocked out of the third quarter. Duck Hodges comes in cold from out of nowhere, his first ever NFL snaps. They go to OT. Uh, Juju fumbles real close. All they had to do was uh, a chip shot for um, what's his name, uh, Justin Tucker. Uh, you know, the, one of the the maybe the best kicker in the game. You know what I mean? At least so most accurate. Like, yeah, yeah. So you're just kind of like, you know, shoot yourself in the foot there. Uh, there's two wins right there, or two losses that could have been wins, and they would have been a playoff team right there. Yep. Because you, because yeah. because going into the to the very late part of the season. Um, you were in the wild card race. It was amazing that that the coaching staff did to team with with who they had running the team at, at quarterback and and the the kind of musical chairs that they had on the offensive side of the ball to keep them in uh, and to game plan and get these guys ready uh, and and keep them in the hunt. It, one of the best jobs Tomlin's done, um, and I think that there's there's a very realistic um, you know chance that that. Uh, the, the defense improves on the play that they had last year, just as as a defense. Not you know, it's hard to expect them to replicate the kind of turnovers and success they had that way in splash plays. But if they can play at at that same consistently high level, uh, you know, you you now have an offense that's going to be much more potent this season, uh, and you know, you should be able to avoid some of those downfalls. Yeah, I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> yeah, perfectly said. Um, to quantify what the defense did last year, this isn't an official stat, but in, in the last half of the season last year, um, the Steelers' defense did lead the NFL in takeaways. And one thing that Mike Tomlin always harps on is winning the turnover battle. And um, in, in, in my personal opinion, the fact that John Harbaugh won Coach of the Year last year is absolutely disgusting and despicable. I think that Mike Tomlin won a landslide coach of the year race last year with what he did with a limited talent roster with a really injured roster with duck Hodges starting three or four games for you last year. Um, I think Mike Tomlin should have 1000% won the NFL coach of the year award. You're not, you're not going to get many arguments from either me or Joe. We were, we were pounding that drum for a while, but uh, as often is the case, you know, the, the respect level uh, for the folks in Pittsburgh 
I think is is somewhat dimmer on a national level than than it ought to be at times, and and Tomlin doesn't get the credit he deserves. Whether that's because of of national media bias or something else, I don't know. But yeah, it was just a phenomenal job last season. Yeah, that's it's unfortunate that so many people have a short memory that they they don't remember having uh, Mike Tomlin in that coach of the year conversation as it sounds like an air raid is coming over with angry people (laughs) ready to bomb me here. Uh, Sorry about that. Uh, But anyways, yeah, it's just creepy that that people have like this short-term memory. I mean, we're in uh, what we're uh, midway through May or whatever right now. And people forget what happened in October, November, December, how he turned a team around that was already uh, 0-3 to to start. And then, uh, you know, they had the Ravens right on the ropes. And, of course, everything fell apart at the end of the season. But, you know, they, they don't they don't recognize. Either they're not watching the games, they don't understand uh, how the game, how the business of football or anything like that works. They think every, every game should be a win. Everything works like the Madden video games. And it, it's unfortunate. But Tomlin... Uh, if you see anything out there, any of the listeners out there see anything that says like he's on the hot seat, that couldn't be any further from the truth right now. Yeah. Despite despite them missing the playoffs the last two years, this guy, uh, he had to deal with Le'Veon Bell and all that fiasco, Antonio Brown and that whole fiasco, then not having Ben Roethlisberger last year. And he still still hasn't had a losing season. They were still up into it, into the final week of the season in, in both cases. Uh, uh, granted, they slid some in 20. 20- of uh, 2019 was an entirely different set of circumstances where they they shouldn't have had any business winning but three or four games and look where he was able to do with what he had so uh, by all means uh, he should always be in the conversation not that I have a problem with Harbaugh I think Harbaugh is a fantastic coach uh, but you got to look at what Harbaugh has done since they've won a Super Bowl in Baltimore. A lot of people talk about playoff wins or lack thereof with Mike Tomlin. Well, Harbaugh hasn't really done anything since that Super Bowl victory. And uh, he was playing for Le'Veon Bell and he turned the ball over twice, at least one uh, strip fumble to Terrell Suggs, missed blocks. It was a complete mess. Ben came out of that game for like a play or two. You had Bruce Gradkowski, I think, take his only snaps as a Steelers quarterback in a game ever other than preseason. So other than that, Baltimore has had nothing to show for. They've had they've had some losing seasons, and they had a fantastic season last year, but they don't have any additional hardware or anything like that. You just got to understand – uh, Harbaugh isn't necessarily a bad coach either. It's just everybody thinks it's Madden football. Everybody thinks uh, the Patriots have gone on a run that no sports team anywhere really can match as far as dynasties are concerned. And you can't hold yourself to that standard because winning in the NFL, it, it, it's the not for long league uh, for a reason. So to put it in perspective, I thousand percent agree with what you're saying. Um, the year that the Atlanta Falcons, my Atlanta Falcons, uh, lost in the Super Bowl so badly uh, in, a, in a loss that we shall not mention anymore. Um, the very next year, we returned to the playoffs as the sixth seed. We were the only team in the NFC to even return to the playoffs that year. People don't realize how actually tough it is to win games in the NFL, to win two games in a row in the NFL. Nevertheless, to put together two good seasons in a row in the NFL. In Mike Tomlin's 13, is it 13 or 14 seasons in Pittsburgh? He's he's never had a losing season. He's one of, what, three coaches in Pittsburgh Steelers history in one of the most historic franchises in the NFL. Um, and to what Brian said, I've actually picked up on a few of these 
dumb Pittsburgh Steelers fans that, you know, call for Tomlin's head or want to get some new faces in there. It's You have the most functional front office in the NFL. Why you would want to break that up is beyond me. <laughs> yeah, it's 13 seasons, and yeah, never had a losing year. <clears throat> there is, you know, there's there is definitely – uh, a theme uh, that uh, Joe and I have uh, discussed various times about the spoiled Steelers fan, uh, because, you know, I, I normally you'd say I'd fall into that category because I lived through the 70s and I know what that was like. Uh, but, yeah, there's an expectation that, any you know, I don't know whether it's James Harrison mentality or what, but, you know, participation trophies don't count. We don't want if, if it's not a championship, it doesn't it's it's terrible. And if you're not winning a championship every year, fire, you need to be fired. That's absolutely absurd and ridiculous. And as I keep repeating people, if the Steelers won every single year, there would be no NFL anymore because people would stop watching. <laughs> look at look at even what the Patriots have done for casual NFL fans. They've turned off the, the, the ability to watch because casual fans are tired of seeing Tom Brady win. So yeah, there, absolutely. there's and and there's thirty teams in the NFL. Only one wins the championship every year, and except for the Patriots, which, like Joe said, is one of the most you know ununtable runs in sports history, not just in football. That you cannot replicate success like that every single year. It's it's not even close to impossible. It is impossible. Yeah, I, I would agree with that completely. It, it, there's there's just no. Uh, there's no understanding of how difficult it is, and there's no understanding of of what is a realistic expectation. Um, I mean, it's not even realistic to expect a guy to coach for 13 seasons and never have a losing season. That's outlandish. Yep. Um, I mean, Bill Belichick has had losing seasons. So, you know, it, to think that and then to to, to hype on the fact that – And it's hit. You think – So, <clears throat> I love the O-line. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Wisniewski piece is that's it's it's key with Ramon Foster retiring. It, it gives some competition at that spot. I don't think he's guaranteed to be the starting guard there. Um, I think that there's a very good chance that that he could fill the role B.J. Finney filled uh, and be a swing guy. But it's going to give them the chance and the depth that they may have been lacking uh, on that offensive line because of those two departures, uh, because Finney was the primary swing guy him gone. Uh, you, you, you're really dealing with untried guys back there. Uh, this gives them a guy who's been there, done it, uh, you know, has a championship or a couple championship rings on his fingers, uh, you know, a savvy vet type guy, the same way Ramon Foster was. It's a great, it's a great pickup for them. Uh, uh, considering the cap kind of situation they found themselves in, it was an amazing concept, but not as amazing as signing Eric Ebron because nobody saw that one coming. We didn't expect it. They didn't expect the money to do it. Um, whether, whether it pans out, I don't know. I mean, Ebron, look, Ben is going to love the fact that he now has all these tall receivers and tall targets and big guys to, to target in the red zone. And hopefully it brings them back to the form they were in 2018, where they were one of the top red zone teams in the league, if not the top. And that's, that's gotta have him salivating as he comes back. Uh, Ebron's had his issues. He's, he's, you know, people have said he, you know, he gets the drops. He, he's, He's a little distracting at times and uh, can be a little maybe immature. But I, I think you've got the kind of team that could could hide Antonio Brown's insanity for how many seasons. I think they can manage Eric Ebron. <laughs> 
so you also add Derek Watt to uh, pair with TJ Watt, uh, trying to collect all the Watt brothers. I, I think JJ is going to be a little bit tough to collect, but and also <laughs> traded for Chris Warmly from the Ravens off the defensive line. Um, Joe, who sticks out to you out of this uh, additions in free agency? Joe may have dropped. We may have lost him. All right, we may have lost Joe. But um, do you think that with the vanishing t- uh, fullback position that Derek Watt will get any use in today's NFL? I actually think he will. I think he's going to get a considerable amount of use, and they can use him as an H-back uh, the way that they uh, they have in the past. Rosie Nix, people forget, Rosie Nix was hurt last season um, and because the Steelers do use their fullbacks, but they didn't have the fullback to use. Um, there, There's going to be – when they go into like 21 personnel and a couple a couple other formations, they're going to have a fullback out there. And Derek Watt will provide them with uh, an athletic uh, extra piece. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, between the two of them, they'll convince TJ that or, or a JJ that he needs to you know take a discount and come to Pittsburgh, close out his career. <laughs> God, what what I'd have JJ Watt play for my team. Um, bringing Chris warmly, I think is very stacked Pittsburgh defensive front. Um, I think always having those, like you said, those swing guys, those depths, your, your, your sixth man, that way all five guys aren't playing all four downs every, every drive. I think it's really important to have depth. And I, and, and I know Pittsburgh is important to have depth too. That defense is just so stacked. You also re-signed Mike Hilton at cornerback, Jordan Dangerfield at safety, Zach Bear at offensive tackle. Matt Fire at right tackle, Marcus Allen at safety, and uh, Tuzar Skipper at outside linebacker. Uh, who, who stands out in that list? Well, I mean, Filer is an important piece. Um, Zach Banner is an important piece. Plus, he's become some, something of a cult hero as uh, the mm-hmm. guy who comes in as tackle eligible um, to, to be that big tight end, fake tight end guy. We, mm-hmm. we keep praying that some somebody throws him the ball. Uh, but, gosh, you know, big man touchdowns are always fun. So, who knows? Um you know, the rest of those guys, uh, Tuzar Skipper sparked a lot of, of intense interest in the preseason last year and then went to the Giants and then came back. Um, you know, those are going to all be depth guys. Filer is key. Uh, Hilton is key. I mean, he's an undervalued slot corner. Um, he does a great job. At some point, he's going to get paid, uh, you know, and, and maybe they'll, they'll work out a way to have a long-term deal. But they've got Cam Sutton sitting right behind him as well, who can maybe do some of the same things. Uh, I think that they have they've got a lot of of good solid depth there, and you talked about warmly. That's another another piece there, um, and it, I think they're in just in good shape uh, overall. But yeah, it's Filer Filer and Banner are probably the two that stand out the most of that group. So let's talk about some guys that you lost. Um, you lose Nick Vanette to the Broncos on a two-year deal, Artie Burns um, to the Bears, Javon Hargrave to the Eagles, Sean Davis, um, Tyler. Matakovich uh, to the Bills and DJ Finney <laughs> to the Seahawks. Um, Matakovich. Matakovich. Yeah, that's okay. It took us a little while when they when they took him too. <laughs> well, and, and and it's guys like I know I know who they are. You've seen them play before. If you play a in depth fantasy league like I do, you pick guys on defense. So you've had guys like him before. You're just not sure how to pronounce their names. Um, who stands out in that list that you're most bummed about losing? Um, I'm not sure if you said it or not, but probably Mark Barron. And I know that comes as a surprise for a I lot of not. people. 
who were uh, they were ragging on him. He was a cap casualty. He's a guy who came in as an inside linebacker, free agent, who had started in the league uh, with Tampa Bay as he's then rookie Devin Bush, who actually came in and was drafted because these guys have been looking for the successor for Ryan Shazier since his injury, and it took them two, three seasons to get there. And Vince Williams is more of like a thumper, uh, but he hasn't always been, let's say, the – the, the guy that you want to have out there in coverage, uh, even when uh, Shazier was around, it, he would play on the field and he saw some of his, snack, his snaps kind of uh, lagging behind. Maybe it was just matchup based. I'm not sure. But I do think if there were a problem either with Devin Bush and or Vince Williams, the, the cupboards are kind of bare because you have a, a second year guy in the name of Ulysses Gilbert and not much else that's there uh, behind them as far as the inside linebacker depth chart. So I got to go with Barron and uh, just to kick back to the, the free agent pickup deal, uh, went with an injured reserve and never had that extra guy that you could put in there and go big. So I think Derek Watt adds a dimension there too. So my guy, uh, I'm not necessarily saying the most excited to see a fullback, but I'm, uh, I'm very happy to have somebody that should be reliable. He comes with the name recognition, of course, of uh, being one of the Watt brothers. And the guy that, like I said, uh, your original question here was, who am I going to miss? I'm going to miss Mark Barron. And, and I, I'm not that I don't agree with Joe to a certain extent, but uh, Javon Hargrave is the one that, that oh, I'm yeah, definitely yeah, yeah. going to miss. Jay Wobble, is, Jay Wobble is a guy that, we would have done just about anything to keep. Um, but it just, you know, with the amount of snaps that he did actually take with the depth that they already had on the defensive line and the money that he was going to get in free agency, it just was not going to happen. We knew it going in. Uh, but nonetheless, that's the guy that I'm going to miss uh, more than anybody else is, is not having uh, Javon Hargrave. There. Well, you know why I did the Steeler uh, and he made a lot of his, what do you want to say? Um, a lot of his contract right here by showing his versatility and he'll probably end up playing a lot more snaps than he would have if the Steelers were able to keep him anyway. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Since Bungle. Yeah. You know, um, if the Steelers were to make a pick and it's like, if they had the ability, Chase Young would have been the guy mm -hmm. that you definitely would have been an unbelievable. And he would have been a nice fit too, only for the reason, if you think he's going to be, what an outside linebacker, three, four outside linebacker. That is, I, I don't know that for, for, um, for sure. But with Bud Dupree getting franchise tagged and really only you're, you're certain he's only here for a year at this moment, uh, that could have been the future too, you know? So I, I would have went that Avenue with it, but other than that, make have definitely fit a, a a definite need with the Steelers defense and uh, was probably one of the final missing pieces to put them over the top. And you could see what they were able to do last season. So there's no first round pick uh, only in round two at pick number 49. You select chase Claypool out of Notre Dame wide receiver. How do you feel about the pick Brian? Um, look, <clears throat> I was JK all day. As we said, we were Ohio state. I wanted yeah. a running back in that spot, but none regardless of the fact that they didn't take JK Dobbins or, uh, one of the other guys that that were still available. This is still a pick that that I think is is a very good choice for them. They they needed some more uh, you know potential playmakers. They've got one in Claypool. He's a big guy. He goes up. He gets contested catches. Um, he's you know Megatron Junior. You know like um, fast. Uh, just it's it's the kind of weapon that they didn't have in the room. 
uh, in that wide receiver room. And we've talked heavily about the wide receiver room on, on the podcast at various times, especially because it it's still a very good wide receiver room. And, and so there was question, is that where we need to invest that draft capital? But the truth is, this is the part that wasn't there. The guy that can maybe consistently stretch the field that that maybe strikes a little uh, fear into into that back end uh, of another defense. Um, so I, I really do like the pick. Uh, it, it isn't, like I said, it isn't the direction I wish they had gone, but if they weren't going the direction I want them to go, I can't argue with this. And, and how can you possibly argue with Kevin Colbert selecting a wide receiver, considering his track record, you just, can't. Oh, you can't. And he was another guy, almost like the Juju pick a few years ago where, I nearly forgot he was on the board and I didn't know that he was necessarily a target of theirs. And he was a genetic freak with the combine. And I just kind of dismissed uh, any thought of him being there at 49. So I was, uh, well, I was looking at somebody like JK Dobbins. I'm more than thrilled with uh, the selection of Claypool. So in round three at pick 102, you pick uh DN Alex Highsmith out of Charlotte. Do you know anything about him? Well, uh, we do now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we have the draft gurus, as we were saying. I'm not necessarily the biggest draft guru. I I didn't get to see a lot of Charlotte, so I can't comment a whole lot on them. We we have a few others uh, within our uh, within our platform with the website and the podcast and Still City Underground that are real draft nicks and some guys that really like them. And he seems like a high motor guy from uh, all of their opinions. That's going to be a, a nice fit. And of course, he's not going to be relied upon to start right away. Uh, may not play a whole lot on defense, but he'll be a special teams contributor for sure. Absolutely. I actually like the pick quite a bit. I'd mocked him to us several times. Yes. Um, I, I think the the downside with Alex Highsmith is his length. He's not what you call, you know, that long type of uh, of uh, edge rusher, but he's got the pass moves, and 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 you cannot argue the production that the the kid put put up in the short time he was there. Yeah, it's not the highest end competition, but when they did play major colleges, he still produced. He was beating top end tackles, you know, when they when they were in front of him. So he's got the potential, and and again, it was a key area that they needed to address from a depth perspective. And that's what I think he's going to provide for them. Uh, I actually think that he could end up playing more than we think and could be uh, if, if, if Bud Dupree decides I need to be paid, you know, $58 bazillion a, a season, he could be the reason that that deal never gets done. So um, your next pick in round four at 124, CBS ha has this as your highest graded pick, um, running back Anthony McFarlane Jr. out of Maryland. Do you agree with CBS? Man, it's hard to say because uh, a lot of people, people I think, were in the same boat of wanting like a Jonathan Taylor or a J.K. Dobbins, and when they went Claypool – and then they skip out and they wait until the fourth round. You're they're automatically thinking, oh, well, they're thinking of other guys that have went in the fourth round that maybe hadn't had the same type of uh, impact. You know what I mean? And uh, the more I hear about McFarland, the more I hear good things. Uh, we saw him uh, obviously within the Big Ten play against Ohio State, and, and, and you know Maryland's not the powerhouse program of a 
let's say Ohio state or Michigan or Penn state or anything like that. So he doesn't necessarily jump off the page, even for a lot of people who watch college football. So uh, with, again, you, you got to trust the process with the Steelers organization. And when uh, they have people in house that have some intimate knowledge, uh, their, you know, quarterbacks coach, Matt Canada had links to Maryland. So those type of people that they're gathering information from, you got to trust the process there. I, I think as a fourth round pick, whether he's boom or bust, what does it really matter? There's hardly any risk there. And it seems like it seems like there's a lot of upside there for a fourth round pick from everything that we're hearing. Absolutely. Look, this is a guy that put up 298 yards on the ground against Ohio State in season. I mean, it's not it, it's not that he doesn't have the chops to be a, a, an NFL caliber running back. Um, he battled injuries last year. Uh, the offensive line uh, at Maryland ain't that great. <laughs> Wasn't <Yeah>. that great? <laughs> uh, you know, look, it is it is. You know, he's coming from a program that wasn't one of the top end programs, but he's he's clearly proved that he could potentially be that guy. He's got home run speed. Um, you know, I think that that. Again, he gives the element to the room, the running backs room that wasn't there. That guy that they haven't had since somebody like Fast Willie Parker wasn't that breakaway runner. Anthony McFarland could be that kind of guy with that kind of speed where he can just be poof and 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 hit a home run for you. So I think he'll be a guy that they mix in. It'll it'll just depend because you just you just don't know. The room is is what it is and. With James Conner, there's a guy that that really can be the bell cow when healthy. The problem is he's not healthy. <laughs> Most he's in ability is available. It's good to get that home run hitter. And the guys that they've had in those roles, such as Le'Veon Bell, uh, D'Angelo Williams, uh, even a short spell of Legarrette Blunt. Uh, the only thing they've even had close was this, you know, a, a very small guy out of Kent State named Dre Archer who kind of flopped. It's a, they've never had like. The, the proper type of any type of scat back or anybody like that that could just take it to the house. Uh, Connor's not a speed guy either. So a, a lot of guys that were plotters or tough runners, break tackles, uh, players of that nature. So as Brian said, it's just, it, it's adding another dynamic to that offense that isn't there and, and getting uh, all of this seems to be Claypool and McFarland, uh, it's in order to help Ben maybe get one more ring. I mean, let's, let's face it. They're trying to add offensive weapons there and key components in order to help them win. So uh, I can't, I can't believe you just said three <laughs> Archer was kind of a flop. Well, kind of flop kind of, <laughs> I mean, a third round pick, it, you Bad. know, he, he was overdrafted. <laughs> well, nobody knew if he was going to be a wide receiver or whatever, but I mean, if you, if you sneezed on the guy, he went down he pretty easily. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> So uh, you, have two, fast, you, have, you have you have two <laughs> picks in round four. Uh, you traded for the pick at 135. Um, you get guard Kevin Dotson out of Louisiana Lafayette. How do you feel about that? Love it. I yep. love it. He's a big bully, and I love it. Uh, he's already got the, the right attitude, plus he picked 69. Nice. That's uh, his number. He let the fans pick it. Uh, he's going to be a guy. Look, this is the guy that could move inside, could be that 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 counterpoint to David DeCastro on the other side. Uh, you give him some room to grow. He's, you look at some of the tape. This is, this is, I like to call Cam Hayward this, but this, this kid is a grown ass man. Yeah. And, and he will, he will beat up guys in front of him and, and then laugh in their face after he does it. I uh, love the attitude. It's the kind of nasty offensive lineman you, you kind of enjoy getting. There is downside potential with him. 
Uh, he's got some technique issues that he's going to have to address. He depends too much on his raw brute strength, and he's going to have to learn a little more finesse. But the Steelers have have a great coaching staff on the offensive line. Even even after losing Munchak, uh, you know, they they can deal with that. They can get him in line. I think I think this could be one of the picks that years down the road we're like, how the heck do we get this guy in the fourth round? Yeah, uh, totally agree. I mean, it's. Uh, well, how'd you get him? It's not necessarily, it was because everybody was looking at who Robert Hunt and he showed up on tape there because uh, Dotson wasn't invited to the combine. And that seems right. like from anywhere else that you see any commentary from any of these so-called draft experts is how in the heck did that happen? He looked like he was a pretty menacing guy too. So uh, yeah, definitely when you're in the fourth round, you could find uh, somebody like that. He definitely fits the type of character pick uh, that's becoming of the Steelers. So in round six and seven, you pick Antoine Brooks out of Maryland safety and then Carlos Davis, uh, D-line out of Nebraska. What do you like about those two guys? I think Brooks is the type of player who can maybe come in, play, uh, hopefully, uh, 15, 20 snaps. I think this is what they were trying to do with Marcus Allen a couple of years ago out of Penn State. Uh, I don't know that he necessarily fits a traditional safety role or he'll ever be a starter. Obviously, Minka Fitzpatrick has got that locked down. The other first-round pick, Terrell Edmonds, got the other that's taken as a sixth-round pick. I think uh, Carlos Dave will be even a lower expectation, but you have a lot of D linemen or linebackers that can go late in the draft and end up becoming uh, – kind of contributors or having a defined role in national football league. So we'll, we'll have to see where that goes for him as well, but I, I wouldn't count either of those guys out. It's just, you know, the bar doesn't have to be set too high and there are always going to be, I think that until they prove otherwise, they're going to be guys that are kind of on the bottom half of the roster that are always going to be fighting for a, for a position uh, on that fifth. Well, is, is it still 53? Did, or did we add some spots with the CPA? But you know what I mean, that, that active yeah. roster. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think Brooks is the one that intrigues me the most because his upside is being Mark Barron. That's his upside, that kind of a player, a guy who can actually contribute heavily uh, as that nickel, nickel kind of linebacker um, or dimebacker. But, uh, you know, you don't know. When, you, when you're down there at the sixth round, again, you don't know. But he's got that upside that, that could make him a high-value pick at that level. Um, Davis, Davis may be destined for the practice squad. He may not. It just depends on, on how he can show out and how guys that they already have there, like Isaiah Bugs, can continue to grow. Um, he could potentially provide that kind of depth. He's a little weak, I would say, or, or uh, Craig Wolfley. You know, he's a little light in the caboose. Yeah. Uh, but you know, that can be coached, and he can get stronger, and he's going to have to get stronger uh, to to make his play. But, you know, it's potential that he could play that nose tackle position and, and, and find a role for himself. Uh, but I, I don't know how easily he's going to make the roster, at least this year. So the one thing that I do think is exciting about a team like the Steelers and when you go defense heavy like you did uh, in, in the latter rounds of this draft is that the blueprint is already laid out. Not only do you have Mike Tomlin, one of the best football minds in the NFL right now, defensively and offensively, but you also do have these players like Bud Dupree who paved the way for you to come slide right into that role. And it makes it for young players to get that defined. They know what's asked of them. So to be able to slide in and have those mentors, and even if it's not a mentor here and they have a need for it, these young players can just slide right in and get to work. On and, you know, since Chuck Knoll, that that really it, it's a and there's a way they view their job, um, and it's why they sometimes will take character guys just important to them. 
Yeah, totally. Uh, there's outside of the Steelers locker room, and it says the standard is the standard. So it's always and some guys are going to try and keep their spots, but it always seems as though there's a there's a certain system or a culture with the Steelers. You mentioned earlier the three coaches going back from Chuck Knoll. That was his blueprint. Went to Bill Cower, went over to Mike Tomlin. Many of them sharing assistants too along the way. Uh, you know, so it, it you don't see that among a lot of other teams in the league, and that's why there's that foundation there where it, it almost seems like they're always kind of reloading uh, instead of just hitting the hard reset button. So, fellas, out of A through F, what would you grade this draft for the Pittsburgh Steelers? Oh, well, that all depends if you're going to include what they use the other capital for. And I think uh, (laughs) draft grades are always uh, a fussy thing with me. I hate assigning anything. I'll give them an A plus all the time because I'm a homer and I'm biased. So, uh, but, you know, the Minka Fitzpatrick trade with the first pick, uh, the third, the traditional not the compensatory third round pick was used as in a package to move up and get Devin Bush last year so when you include that with everything it's hard to not give it an A because all of the other picks seem to fill some type of some type of role this I, I don't think any of us I think Brian's included here uh, we didn't feel the Steelers had a lot of holes going into the draft uh, they just had some areas where it'd be nice to have depth or players to develop for the future. And I think they did that uh, quite well with this draft. And so if you look at it merely from the picks and what they had, like I said, on paper, it was 49 and 103. If you're saying you're getting the 49th best player in theory and the 103rd best player in theory with your top two picks, well, how high of a grade can you give it? So I assign it for just the Steelers and just based on those guys that were picked, probably a B because, you know, I, you can't, I can't say it's an A. I don't know how these guys are going to turn out. I'm not going to say that this uh, one guy was a, a home run that ended up there at uh, 49. I may feel differently if they took Dobbins, for example, but then uh, that would just be my other bias kind of being confirmed <laughs> there. So I, I'll give him a B. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm going to echo Joe's sentiment. Uh, to me, graph, trade, graph grades are very, very, very subjective, and you really can't assign one with any validity until several years down the road uh, to see how these guys back actually pan out. But considering where they were, considering the capital that they had to work with, considering the positions that they were in, um, I, you know, I look at the draft itself as probably a B. Uh, but again, if you add Mink, if you add Minka Fitzpatrick into that mix and say that's my first round pick, I'm going to give him an A mm-hmm. because you've got a, a not just a Pro Bowl level, but an All Pro level guy proven uh, that you know clearly makes your defense click and better. You can't, you know, there's no guarantee you're going to get that with a standard draft pick. Um, so you know, it it just works that way. When you look at it from the offseason standpoint, though, because what they were able to manage in free agency put them in this position for the draft, the Steelers had an A of an offseason because they they addressed the, the biggest issues that they had that allowed them to address the draft in the way that they did. So I'm really impressed with what they were able to accomplish considering where they started the offseason program. So, um, so we have um, the schedule will be coming out tonight. Uh, I think like eight, eight o'clock on ESPN for us uh, a little bit earlier on the coast. Um, but we do have our home and away opponents. You have your three division games, Cincinnati, Cleveland, and Baltimore hosting Houston, Indy, Philly, Washington, and Denver. And then you go on the road to your three division games and then Buffalo, Dallas, New York, Giants, Jacksonville, and Tennessee. Give me a record of uh, the 2020 Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> 
Oh man, where do we go with this, Brian? Uh, I mean, Six, sixteen and zero. They'll never lose a game. That's never. Right. <laughs> we we always do that when we when we do our own kind of review or overview. Uh, it's tough to see how everything's going to come together for a lot of these teams down the road. I can't help but think the Bengals are still going to be somewhat of a mess, Burrow or not. Uh, the Cleveland Browns got to prove to me otherwise. So. Uh, coaching or whatever be the case that uh, they change their front office now. So yep. they're fi- well, the NFC least, I mean, that's what you- uh, Brian would like nothing more than to see a win over the Eagles. We would like to see a win over the cowgirls. So I always like to put the Steelers still in the same place that they have been consistently with Mike Tomlin. Uh, that is, that, that has been at least an eight win team and usually somewhere in the double digits, 10 or 11 wins uh, would be, would be my, um, that has to be the expectation. That's got to be the standard, right, Brian? So uh, what is it, 11 and whatever? We still got 16 games this year, yeah, right? Next yeah, year, so next year we're going to 17. So we still got the uh, the extra playoff spot, though. So they could be a playoff team even as a nine-win team. if it. In fact, they would have been every single year under Mike Tomlin except for one where they would have missed a tiebreaker, and that was his first year, right? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. So it's like, and he was coming back off of uh, a Bill Coward team that had just missed the playoffs after the Super Bowl. So, yeah, uh, that's where you got to think that they're they're at until they do something. Otherwise, uh, you know, it's it's hard to believe that they wouldn't be in that category. Yeah, I I do not expect them to get swept by the Ravens again this season. Uh, not if Ben is back. Not with way that this team is shaped up. Um, but they may split. Uh, you know, they they sometimes make it interesting against the Browns and and throw a, a clunker in there. Um, but, you know, we you kind of the will be, the, I think, probably the Dallas and the Philadelphia game will be the two toughest out of that NFC least uh, division. Uh, but the Redskins did a lot to improve themselves. I, I don't know about the Giants. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I think I think that it's you're probably uh, talking. I. I I, it's it's hard to bet against Mike Tomlin. I don't think they have a losing season. I think they they get in the playoffs. I think they challenge for the division if they don't take it outright. Um, probably 11 wins. Uh, I, I'm right in that range, but it won't surprise me if they do better than that and pick up 12. Um, I have written down right here 10 and 6. The only reason I don't want to burst with optimism is because the injury bug does loom in in, in NFL locker rooms. Um, but looking at the year that he had last year, Mike Tomlin's incredible body of work. I have uh, the NFC. Er, er, er. I mean, it's very hard to see Baltimore, uh, even with the juggernaut that they had. I think teams, I think all of the teams, including the Bengals and the Browns, were are trying to what do you want to say stockpile of course they're they're gonna you know the the Bengals and Browns are also trying to stockpile against everything that the Steelers are adding as far as the weapons that they've always had and it for a big Ben too so I I do believe and within the division itself we saw the Ravens lose to the Browns we saw the overtime uh, game that was tight with the Steelers that other Steeler the other game in week 17 was completely a, a throwaway in my opinion so uh, it'll be tough I think it'll be tough for them to get back to 13 double digit wins you know, that's kind of the same thing I was saying about my respect for Harbaugh. You kind of you kind of have to factor them into that since they've already proven uh, they're in that category. And uh, unfortunately, I liked their draft, too. And uh, that was because of the damn Dobbins pick. Dead to me. He's dead to me. Dead. <laughs> so, fellas, uh, one last question before before I let you go. Um, scrap all the records. Scrap anything that's quantifiable. Scrap anything that we can actually measure tangibly. Why will the Pittsburgh Steelers be must-see television next year? Oh, man. Um, Ben Roethlisberger's return. I think that's going to be the big one, right? And 
I don't know. There aren't any real big rematches though because of the way everything else went last year i mean the raven you know the ravens always i guess the first time playing against the steelers too but he's going to have firsts all over the map that could be exploited by tv networks and stuff so uh, it's always it's always steelers nation you know they're one of the handful of franchises that always draw in ratings so i mean that that's it right there you, you got ben roethlisberger's comeback and seeing if uh, the steelers are still going to be a contender Absolutely. The Ben Roethlisberger revenge tour. That's that's the, the key. Uh, but to me, the reason this team is is going to be something you have to watch is going to be how much that defense improves even more over last year. Um, I, I think the defense is going to be smothering um, and, and just be even better than they were. I think Cam Hayward continues to play well, uh, getting Stefan to it back from injury. If he could play a full season. Uh, Bud Dupree is going to be looking, again, looking at this as a contract year to prove things out. T.J. Watt continuing to grow. Minka, a full season and a full uh, postseason. Devin Bush. In the, you know, uh, I think that the defense alone may, will make this team must-see TV in every single game, which is one of the reasons I look at that Cowboys matchup, because their offense you know, is going to be back to full strength, supposedly. Um, and uh, you know, I want to see... I want to see. I want to see this defense, a top five, potentially maybe even higher defense against that offense. We want to see how Andy Dalton could complete passes <laughs> to uh, the Steelers defense <laughs> wearing a, wearing that uh, Cowboys uniform. Isn't that the most obnoxious thing in the world, Andy Dalton in a Cowboys uniform? I can't no. think of anything like I can't think of a more punchable face in the NFL than Andy Dalton well, in a Cowboys uniform. He's got a punchable face, but you would want to punch some of our fan base online that wanted to sign Dalton as a uh, backup. <laughs> Just no way. <laughs> well, fellas, um, I really forward to saying tell you can tell the fans where you're at. Uh, well, you can YouTube at talk. <laughs> yeah, you can actually Instagram, and we have the icons all over the place. You could uh, you could actually follow, like, and everything right there on the homepage, uh, including YouTube, if you want to subscribe to our show too. So, ladies and gentlemen, you can find me at Cohen underscore Hughes on Instagram. Search Cohen Hughes for Facebook. I don't do Twitter. It's too easy to get bogged down on Twitter with good and bad opinions alike. Uh, you can find the podcast page at TDB Pod on Instagram or Twitter, or you can join the Facebook group Daily Degenerate Sports shit talk extravaganza whatever it's called hit me up <laughs> and, and i'll send you an invite to it uh please like subscribe rate retweet whatever the hell millennials are doing nowadays do that to this podcast and uh reach out so we know how much you like the episode ladies and gentlemen this has been the daily degenerate podcast presents 32 teams and 32 episodes the pittsburgh steelers installment special thanks to steel city underground for coming on and giving us some giving us some great steelers info hope you guys enjoyed the episode thanks for listening Boom. Thank you so much Alrighty. for being awesome. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. No yeah, worries. No so I'm uploading episodes one day at a time. as not like to overflood the, the timeline with a bunch of episodes in one day. Um, what I'll do is whenever it gets uploaded here in the next you know week or two, I will you know send you guys the link to it. And then I'm going to have like a little promo teaser video with like waveform audio on it, like a minute and a half from this interview, whatever I think our best moment was. Yeah, 